Mac Power Users, episode 696, App Subscription Check-In. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined as always by my friend and your friend, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. Thank you for that nice introduction. What a great way to start a podcast. It, yeah, I, I love doing the show. You know, we, uh, we've we been doing it. I keep thinking I'm like new to the show, but I've been here like four yeah, years not, or man. something. I yeah, you're not. <laughs> been a long time, having a lot of fun. I mean, you started at around 450, and we're now inching towards 700. I know. So you're an old MPU hand at this point, buddy. I cannot believe episode 700 is so close. I feel like we did 500 live at Max Stock like two weeks ago. But yeah. It was a little bit longer than that. I've had several, let me just say this real quick. I've had several longtime listeners, like when I meet them or they email me and say, hey, you know, when Katie left, you picked the right guy. You picked oh, the that's, right guy. that feels good to hear. Yeah, that's, that's true. Anyway, uh, here we are at episode 696. What are we going to talk about today? Yeah, we're going to get into the world of app subscriptions. It's been a while since we've checked in on on what we're using and sort of that world. But a couple of preliminary things first. Uh, this episode is recorded out of time, to borrow a phrase from our friends at Cortex. We're recording this before WBDC, but you were listening to it after WBDC. Uh, it's just very complicated with all the travel, and I backed a family vacation up right against WBDC. And so uh, next week, we'll be back into WBDC content. That's going to be a feedback episode next week, uh, kind of half feedback, half dubbed up stuff. Uh, so this is a little out of time. So just wanted to lay that out there. As you listen to this, I'm struggling with betas for you. Yeah, Because <laughs> we're right. going to talk about it next week on the show. But, <laughs> but right now, I'm recording this on the stable Mac. But I can't guarantee I will be next week. Oh. That hurts me. Uh, yeah, there's that going on. Uh, so, you know, we're not talking about app subscriptions on the headset. But uh, that's kind of where we are in time. And today on More Power Users, which is the longer ad-free version of the show that we do each and every week, we just want to do like a project check-in. Uh, David and I both have some sort of long-term projects we're working on this year. And we thought it would be good to kind of touch base on those. We've talked about a few of them. Some of them we we probably haven't. And uh, we thought we would just, you know, middle of the year, just kind of see how it's going. Yeah. Well, let's get started, though. I, we're going to talk today about subscriptions and uh, where we are at. Uh, everybody gets a little hot under the collar about subscriptions. Well, I'm not going to say everybody. Some people do. And I get it. For so long, the business model in the software business was simple. You bought an app. And you used it. And then maybe a year or two or three later, they came out with a new version and if you wanted to update, you could. Um, a lot of a lot of times, they'd have an update price, like they gave you a discount if you updated it, and then you know you were back to the races and and using the app until the next update shipped. And that changed. I, I, there's a bunch of reasons that changed. A, a big part of it is Apple. They don't put upgrade pricing into the business model for the various app stores. Yeah. But I think a bigger driver of it really is just the prices. I mean. It used to be that you would normally pay fifty to a hundred dollars for an application, and with the arrival of the App Store, it suddenly went down to you know three to ten dollars for an application. 
I've often wondered if Apple's lack of upgrade pricing in the App Store, I mean, maybe in the beginning it was just something that wasn't there, right? Maybe they didn't get to it or whatever. But clearly at some point that became a decision, right? They made a decision. This is the way software is going to go. And of course, initially that was just the iPhone and the iPad and the Mac App Store came along and it has affected things even outside of the Mac App Store for the exact reason I think you were talking about. Like, yes, Apple was maybe at the like the tip of the spear, but the business model has changed because of those pricing demands. And software is more complicated today than ever. If you just think about, you know, a relatively simple app in the Apple ecosystem to be considered viable in the eyes of most customers, you have to be on multiple platforms, right? iPhone, iPad, Mac. Maybe the watch, if that makes sense. Maybe the headset, if that's real at this point. That means you have to have data syncing between all of those apps, right? So you're using yeah. iCloud or something else. You have to have all the features. So you want, you know, you need widgets. And if live activities make sense and push notifications, right? The world is complicated in the Apple ecosystem. And charging $10 one time eight years ago doesn't make a business sustain, sustainable anymore it just doesn't and and that shift to subscription has let developers charge less more frequently and that gives them cash flow each and every month they're not holding back features and releasing every three years and hoping people come along for the ride it's they're getting a little bit each month or each year and it means their businesses can be stable and can grow over time as a business owner that's exactly what i want right Relays turned to membership a couple of years ago, and it's it's less than half our revenue. But seeing this through a different lens, like I can depend on that income as a company each and every month, and it means the company is less battered around by the the wind, right? You know, the things going on in the ecosystem or the or the ad market or whatever. And so, I totally get why developers have moved to this. Yeah, I mean, it it is a big difference from from what it was but it does make life for them easier and uh, i also think it's almost a necessity because there were plenty of good little productivity apps during this transition that failed because they charged five dollars once yeah they didn't have a subscription model or a way to get additional income and the developer just ran out of gas i mean you can only get so far and and so the this, the transition to subscription, I think, was inevitable given kind of the market condition. Um, I also think that uh, I do like to try and keep it in perspective. Um, like the um, uh, as we're recording this, it's the day after Memorial Day in, in the U.S. And my kids were both in town. We said, okay, we're going to go out and have a nice meal together, you know, the whole family. And we went to a really nice restaurant. By the time I was done eating, it was $150 for for all four of us and the tip and everything. And I got thinking, that's a lot of money. Uh, but that was one meal, <laughs> you know? And then I look at these apps I'm subscribing to, and they're three, four, or five dollars a month. And I'm like, that's not nearly so much money for something I use every day. <laughs> and so try and keep some perspective about it too. But but uh, I do have a bit of experience with several developer friends who have, have made this transition. And there are apps that were, and a lot of times, the developer was seriously considering just shutting it down because mm-hmm. they weren't able to, to make it work. And then they switched to, to um, 
a subscription model and then suddenly they've got recurring revenue. Not only are they not shutting it down, the app is getting better. Yeah. I don't want to speak for him, but I know we've talked to Greg over at Drafts a lot on the show over the years. And I think Drafts is a great example of an app that the subscription move has made tons of sense because he's been able to really keep the pedal down. Like his release schedule is so impressive to me and it's new features, it's cleanup, it's adopting new things, you know, as, as notion showed up on the scene, right. Or craft or Evernote went away, like all those things, like he has to change and adapt to those things. And the subscription lets him do that. And I think it's been really successful for him. And he's sort of always the example in my mind of this is a developer who is really taking the subscription model and making it work for everybody. Yeah. The Fantastic Hell is another version of that. I know people aren't happy with the amount they charge, but you know they decided they wanted to be a professional app, so they're going to charge more. But the same thing, they are constantly issuing new features, and they're constantly adding new bits to it. And if you want a calendar that really kicks butt, this is the one that does that. And next month there'll be more. And and I do think that's another nice benefit of paying a subscription because there are benefits. And you know, one of them is you have confidence the app isn't going to like just go away and you're going to have the rug pulled out from under your feet. But I think another benefit is you have the right to demand constant improvement. Mm-hmm. You know, the old model uh, developers held features because yeah. they had to have a list of them in two or three years. So you would be encouraged to pay the upgrade fee. So if they had something new, they would not ship it until it was time to do the big upgrade. And then they'd have a list of things they'd done. Whereas under the new model, as soon as it's ready, they ship it because they want you to see you're getting value for your money. And I think as a subscriber, I have a right to expect that apps I'm subscribing to continually improve. And if they don't, then I'm no longer going to be a subscriber. And I, I think that's kind of the healthy relationship of it. It also gives you an opportunity as a consumer, as a customer, to evaluate on a regular basis if the tools you're using and paying for still make sense. We have a section later in the show of subscriptions we've canceled or move on or moved on from. And I'm much more willing to, to do that than say like back when I was buying Photoshop, you know, every three years for $400 or whatever, like, okay. Like you get like a weird sunk cost fallacy thing going on. But if I'm paying five bucks a month for something and I switch apps or it just doesn't make sense anymore, I can just turn it off and I've paid for the time I've used and I'm not paying for it now and I'm not using it now. So it gives, in a way it gives more power to the customer. And like you said, it does leave developers, it gives developers a, both an incentive, but also sort of like a, an agreement with their customer that, hey, we're going to make this work for you over the long term in a way that didn't, it didn't always work out that way in the previous, uh, previous business models. Yeah, agreed. And that, you know, I think that's just the way to look at it. It's not that subscriptions are bad or good. It's just different, and you just have to figure out how that fits for you. And uh, if you want to minimize subscriptions, then then that's what you do. Pick the ones that really are useful, keep those, and you know, cut the fat. Uh, yeah. If you don't mind and you're willing to be more experimental, and we're going to go through later some of the stuff we've subscribed to. And I'm always trying new stuff out, but part of my job is to try stuff out so I can tell people about it. Mm-hmm. And you know, we all have to kind of make our own decisions in that regard. But 
I, I don't think you should look at them as inherently evil. If, if you do, I don't think that's healthy. I mean, that that this is just the way it is, and there are some real benefits to you if you take advantage of them. And if you bump into a developer that just seems to want your money and is not going to give you that continued improvement, then subscription gives you an easy way to jump out the window and hit the parachute, right? <laughs> yeah. And in a way, I, I didn't think about this just now when you were talking, but I think it makes sense. Subscriptions align the software industry with the rest of the world, right? Like I pay my utility bill monthly for my usage, right? I don't write my utility bill a, comp- uh, a big check every three years and then just coast, right? I'm paying it monthly. I'm putting gas in my truck a couple of times a month because I'm using it continuously, right? In, in a way, the software industry was an aberration to the rest of the economy where you pay for things as you go all the time, right? That's that's kind of how the, most of the world works. And I, I definitely understand that there are bad actors on the app store and in the ecosystem, right? People that are charging too much for something that's too little. But again, as the consumer, we have the power. The market has the power to say, look, what you're charging for this doesn't make sense. And people vote with their dollars and with their feet. And and that's a good thing, I think, overall. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about managing subscriptions before okay. we get into our choices. Apple has done a great job of making this easy. And if you go into your app store application, you can go to your settings. And from there, there's one push that gets you to a web served page that has a list of all your subscriptions. Uh, You can go through it. You can edit the subscriptions. You can tell it to, you know, not renew this one or renew this one. And Apple gives you warning emails before they renew. I feel like Apple did this right. I do too. Uh, I like that it shows the date that it's going to renew. You can also have, so I have this turned on, you can have emails sent to you. Like, hey, this subscription is is coming up. And it is, yeah, it's really easy to manage. This used to be a bit more buried. And in the last couple of years, they've made it much, much simpler. I used to have a shortcut that I maintained because this used to be like buried in the App Store settings. And now, like you said, you just go in there, you tap on your face, you hit subscriptions. And uh, and you're all set. Another thing I like about it is this page not only manages app subscriptions, it also manages Apple Care if you're paying Apple Care on a monthly basis. So it's one place you can go to and see all of your devices that are getting monthly Apple Care. And uh, I find that really useful too. And uh, as I get rid of hardware, as hardware gets older, I can turn it off and not feel like I'm I'm kind of lost in the money that's going to Apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to just take a, an interlude before we get into the nitty gritty. We have gone off and on about these legacy accounts on Mac power users for the entire 700 episode run of the show. You know, I got a iPod before um, I got an iCloud account. I mean, like a lot of people, um, I, iCloud didn't exist when the iPod first started hitting it. And so we had a, a single account that all of our media was on for a long time. And, you know, we bought music and movies and all that stuff. And I have been trying to get away from that ever since, <laughs> you know, and Apple has this weird thing where you can have, you know, your iCloud account, plus you can have a legacy like iTunes account where you have purchases in it. And, you know, the, it gets weirder because the iPhone came along in the interim. So I bought a lot of apps on that legacy account and, 
I think a lot of listeners kind of go through the same problem. I decided about a year ago that it was time to just try and move. I kept hoping there'd be some kind of amnesty where you could just take everything and move it from one account to the other, like one time. Yeah. But my guess is lawyers, lawyers, blah, blah, blah. You can't, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. So, so what I did is I just started buying everything new on my iCloud account. Uh, we have a family account. I made the legacy account a family member. So I can kind of still get to that stuff. And it hasn't really been too intrusive. It caused a little bit of a problem on the Apple TV because then I have two Davids on the Apple TV and one of them has all the old media and the other one doesn't. But as we moved to this world where, you know, we have Disney Plus and we have a lot of these subscription services, you know, my old copies of Star Wars that I bought don't really, they're as important that I have access to them. Mm Mm-hmm. So I've been in the midst of that for a year and occasionally it comes up on the show. I thought in relation to this show, I'd just kind of update you. It has not been that bad doing this, but I have, I have not like shut down the legacy account. It's still around. I can still access it to stuff, but I find rarely do I need to do that. And a big part of it for me was I unsubscribed from everything that was subscribed to the legacy account. And then just as they ended, I resubscribed on my, iCloud account. Okay. So I have effectively moved all subscriptions out of the legacy account. And, you know, this is a thing that takes some time if you want to do it. You know, I mean, you don't, there's no need to subscribe twice, right? So let the subscriptions expire that you have already purchased. But then you can move those over easy enough. You just got to switch between them in terms of, you know, which account you're on when you're managing those subscriptions. Mm-hmm. And my life is getting easier. So this has overall been a, a happy story, but it I wish I didn't have to go through this. Yeah, I think a lot of people are, are in that situation. We certainly are, where we had a shared Apple ID for purchases, and then we moved to yeah. iCloud family sharing. Like, I think so many people have so many different setups. Like, I understand why Apple hasn't, it's like wave the magic wand. And like you said, lawyers are definitely involved. But yeah, I'm glad for that update because if you do kind of take the time and clean it out, you can over time consolidate things, but it's definitely not as clean as I wish it was. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Text Expander. You can get 20% off your first year by visiting textexpander.com slash MPU. If you work in a team, you know that communicating faster so everyone can focus on what's most important is a really big deal. And with Text Expander, your team's knowledge is always at their fingertips. Get everyone on the same page by getting information out of silos and into the hands of everyone who needs it. You can share your team's knowledge across departments so your team is sending a unified message to your customers and they're not spending time reinventing the wheel. So this can look like a bunch of different things. At Relay FM, we use Text Expander to make sure that we have all of our sponsor names correctly spelled and capitalized because a lot of companies use different styles over the years, and we want to make sure that we get that right every time so we look super professional. I use it in my membership support, so I have a Text Expander snippet that I type, and it gives me a dropdown of URLs that I often need to send members, like reset a password or download a podcast, whatever it may be. It makes work much more efficient. So here's how it works. You store everything you need in Text Expander: emails, phrases, messaging, URLs, and then you share it. You get your whole team access to all the content they need to use every single day. 
You can organize it by department and then expand it. They can deploy that content with just a few keystrokes across any apps that they're using because Text Expander is available on the Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. Any place you can type, you can use Text Expander. Show listeners will get 20% off their first year. That URL you want to visit is TexExpander.com slash MPU to learn more and sign up. And my thanks to Text Expander for supporting the show. All right. So we've uh, we've got various categories of apps that we're subscribing to. I think there's a lot of uh, it's a little squishy between the two of them, to be honest. <laughs> but but uh, but we're going to start breaking it down. We decided we're going to start with productivity apps. So Stephen, why don't you go first? Yeah, I'm going to start with uh, the two sort of big big ones for me, and it's Microsoft 365 and Adobe Creative Cloud. Uh, Microsoft 365 mostly for the rest of my family. So I, I need Office very rarely. It's it's not very often that I can't do something in iWork and just export the document, right? But my wife and our two of our three kids use Office pretty heavily at school, and they can log in with their school accounts and get access to everything. But the school system doesn't give them downloads to like install 30, 365 on their own devices. And so I pay for the family, I think it's like five, four or five seats uh, of Office or Microsoft 365. They're like Google. They keep, they've changed the name of this over the years and I cannot keep it straight. Yeah. And, and that's really more for the family. And it's their system for like logging in, like, okay, yes, I want this computer authorized and stuff is really pretty great. Very rarely do I run into an issue in like a migrating a computer or something where I have to, you know, log into Microsoft and like figure out what's going on. It seems to just kind of figure it out on its own pretty well. And I know that they always have updates, right? So if there's an update to Word or Outlook or something, they can just run it. I don't have to worry about, oh, one kid's on Office 2018 and someone else is on Office 2022 and they're not compatible in this weird way. Microsoft has really smoothed all of that out over the years with uh, with their products. I used to know this lawyer who was like the Orange County hitman for mm-hmm. Microsoft. Like he would just go around suing companies on behalf of Microsoft that were using the illegal versions of Office. I don't know how they figured it out, but Microsoft would send him a list, you know, and you're like, he'd go in and somebody had like one license they were running on like 200 computers and he would hit, he would sue them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like, I was thinking, man, I wonder what he's doing today because uh, you're right with Microsoft Office 365, they made it really easy to get multiple licenses at your workplace and just, you know, uh, always have the most recent version. I am, uh, I would say I have wizard level skills, at Microsoft word. I, I used it for 30 years and I'm really good at it. In fact, uh, but when I stopped being a lawyer with some glee, I canceled my 365 account because I just, you know, for the stuff I'm doing now, pages is fine, but I'm tempted to go resubscribe for a couple months just to play with their AI stuff. And just so I can talk about it and see how it's going. But the, um, but yeah, right now I am not a 365 subscriber, even though I have been most of my life. Yeah, a lot of people can totally get by without it, right? I mean, I do. It's only just the rest, the rest yeah. of the household that keeps yeah. me to it. The other big one for me is Adobe Creative Cloud, which is solely, uh, mostly in the work category for me. 
uh, I pay for the subscription that has access to both the visual tools, so Photoshop, Illustrator, and Design, but also Audition, which is their audio editor. I don't edit my shows in Audition, but I do a lot of pre-flight stuff. So their noise cancellation is really good. Their volume matching is fantastic. And so I process files through Audition, and then I edit my shows in Logic. So I know that's kind of a weird workflow. A few people do it like I do, I think, but I'm kind of using the best of both worlds. And so that that just comes out of the business each month. I think it's like like 58 bucks a month or something. If I didn't need Audition, I could really I could bring that down and just use the visual tools. But both of the, one thing these both have in common is you can download the applications from the vendor that you need. And so with Creative Cloud, you know, I'm not necessarily uh, using all of the tools that they have. But if I go into the Creative Cloud app on my Mac, and I say, oh, you know what? Actually, I do need, uh, you know, I don't know. Say I, I do need After Effects for something or Lightroom, which I don't use. Say I want to try Lightroom. Because I pay for a plan that includes it, I can just install it. And if there's an update that's bad, I can go back and install an old version of it, right? So both of these kind of work the same way that you have access to the whole thing, but you're not required to to have them all installed on your machine all the time. And I really like that flexibility. I get it. You know, and the Adobe suite is uh, something that I just missed. I never got caught up in it. Mm -hmm. In the early days of Photoshop, I would always buy, they had a consumer version. It was like a hundred bucks. Yeah. I forget what it was called, but I used to get that. It's like Photoshop then, Express, maybe? Yeah, something like that. And then I was always a fan of Pixelmator. And I know that there are other vendors also making software like that. But I just like the way Pixelmator is so aggressively Mac. And they really just like use all the Mac features, even more than Adobe does. They are not a subscription um, company. They sell you the app, you pay for it, and then you own it. And that's always been kind of the stuff I went to for that. And in terms of audio tools, I've only ever really known the Apple suite. And Mm -hmm. I'll be willing to pay money for a plugin if I need it, but I'm not going to go over to Adobe to do one thing or another. So so that's that. I just totally missed the Adobe bus throughout my life. (laughs) Uh, My big one kind of in that category is what I, the Omni suite. Yeah. You know, and they don't, I wish they did sell it in a way like uh, Adobe does where you just have your account and you download what you want. But I am a big fan of the Omni group. Uh, they, you know, full disclosure, they were a sponsor of ours years ago. I mean, it's probably been five years or more since they sponsored anything I did, but the, um, but I got to know the people there in the process and they are so passionately Macintosh, you know, they really live and die by this stuff. You know, the Omni group, uh, they were, you know, at making Next software before they made macOS software. So they've kind of been there for the whole journey. They're some of the best productivity app makers, I think, around. I used to say, you know, they're Apple caliber, but I would say now they're better than Apple caliber because a lot of the Apple stuff just doesn't go as far as their stuff does. So, you know, OmniGraffle. OmniFocus, OmniOutliner, all of that stuff I find uses for constantly, and I just subscribe to it all. And that's um, that's one of my big expenses in terms mm-hmm. of software for years, those subscriptions. But I uh, I do not regret them a bit. And, and which apps from them are you using on a regular basis? Well, I, I just recently 
added OmniPlan because they're developing that. And that one, they're going to give me um, a free trial on that one. So that one I'm not paying for yet. But if I start using it, one of my rules, by the way, just kind of separate is as even though I'm fancy Max Barky and I have a blog and a podcast, if I use an app under fire, you know, beyond just testing it and talking about it, I pay for it. I I just don't want to. I just feel like that I need to. And uh, I got to, you know, you've got to walk the walk, right? Um, so the ones I'm, I'm really, I, that I use under fire currently are Graffle, uh, Focus, and Outliner. But OmniPlan is making progress. I don't know if I can use it as much. I used to use it as a lawyer a lot because I would have like litigation plans I would lay out as a Gantt chart, and then mm-hmm. I would send it to the client as a PDF. It was almost marketing more than it was anything else. Hmm. But it was uh, it was good for that, and and they've made a lot of progress on that. But I I'm a big fan of uh, OmniFocus, OmniGraffle, and OmniOutliner. We mentioned Fantastical a, a little bit earlier, and of course, recently did an episode on that. I'm not yeah. a Fantastical user on a regular basis. It's one that I sort of check in on, and it, it's one for me that falls in the category that we were talking about earlier. It's fantastic. It's right there in the name. But I don't have the need for a lot of the stuff it does, and so I'm not yeah. a regular paying person for it. But I know you are, and you you use your calendar as we have discussed much more, much more intensely than I do. But uh, it seems that like you're really happy with it. Yeah, I mean, I am. It's 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 four seventy five a month billed annually. So, but that's you know that adds up, you know, for a calendar app. Uh, but I use it every day and I don't go to Starbucks. There's a lot of stuff I don't spend money on and I'm totally fine uh, spending this extra money because it gives me so many more features than what I get with Apple's calendar app. I know that's the one you're using, but mm-hmm. like uh, appointments, like when people want to meet with me, I I hate that email exchange where you say, well, I'm available Thursdays after two and you're available Friday morning. And, you know, you got like six emails by the time you get a meeting schedule. What I do, if someone wants a meeting with me is I send them fantastic. has this thing called proposals. So I'm not giving them access to my calendar where they can just pick a time because that is anathema to me. But the, uh, what, instead what I do is I say, here are three times, pick one, you know, and, and I can do that in Fantastical. It reserves the time on my calendar. They get a little uh, link in an email. They click it. And then it automatically updates in the calendar, and their appointment gets set in. The other two uh, get deleted, and then the appointment is set, and it's only one email for me. And if they say, well, I can't do any of those three, then I say, okay, well, I'll write you next month, and I'll give you some more times. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've got a whole system for this, Stephen. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm just not going to spend a bunch of time like programming calendar events. And that's something fantastic. They, they're just always coming up with new features and cool things. I, I love quarterly planning and they're the only calendar app that does it. I'll take a little bit of credit for that. Cause I complained about it enough that they finally just put it in to shut me up. Features like that are there. And for that, I'm willing to pay. And uh, I've been paying since they went to subscription model. I just paid my renewal. And uh, that's one that I don't mind paying for. Mm-hmm. I, I did hear from a lot of people after they raise their prices saying, oh, this is crazy. I can't afford this or I can't pay it. And I don't think it's worth it. And I think then you shouldn't pay it. I, I think these software developers need to understand that when you raise prices too high, you're going to lose people. Uh, but that also they should understand if they can raise prices higher and people stay that they expect more. I mean, 
the system works itself out. I wouldn't get emotional about it, you know? Yeah. It's it's up to them. You know, I mean, if you really feel wound up about it, send them an email and say, hey, I feel like this isn't fair. You're charging too much. But they got a, you know, they got a business. Like, fantastic all I happen to know because there's another feature I've been complaining about that they're adding. They've got a lot of people working. This is not one guy in a corner with a Mac, you know. This is <laughs> a team building this app out and they got to pay for all those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that's been on my list for a long time is Todoist, which is the task manager that I always come back to. It's, uh, it's one that it's not particularly Mac or even iOS, like native feeling like it's, it's one of those apps that runs everywhere and it kind of looks and feels like it runs everywhere. And as I've talked about before, the thing that, keeps me there or calls me back when I stray is the natural language processing that they have a whole system where you can very quickly type something in one box and it knows what list and the priority and the date and the repeating parameters. And that is something that I really value in a task manager. So I keep coming back to it. Uh, my wife also uses Todoist uh, for a while when I, last year, or I guess earlier this year, whenever I was, giving reminders, sort of a long-haul test. We moved our shared stuff into reminders, and that's that's also now back into Doist because she really also likes it. So it's not the Mackiest app here, and it's not the most powerful app in the category by far, but it's the one that clicks with me the most. And so I pay for that annually and have done so for, I don't even know, like six or seven years probably. Yeah, I mean... I think with a task manager app, you don't want the most complicated one. You want the least complicated one that can work for you. Yeah. So if that if that's it, then go for it. Uh, one we both have on our list is Craft. And this one has kind of emerged for me in the last couple of years. Uh, I use it just with kind of Team Max Barking. You know, I've mm-hmm. got JF and a couple other people that help me out with stuff. And I wanted to have a place where we could have like a source of truth for all the projects. Like if there's a new video for the labs or if we're working on the field guide or whatever, there is a place you can go to where you can see the current status of that, you know, who is responsible to do something with it. If there's a question about it, you can leave a question for it. And craft scratches that itch really nicely for me. So I pay for that. Yeah. I turned to it earlier this year. I took a class over the spring that's that's mostly wrapped up now. And I wanted a place to have all of the documents and notes and all the material that that class generated. And it was absolutely amazing for that, being able to link to a specific block somewhere else, uh, having really quick formatting. The, the, the secret with Craft and a lot of these other apps like Notion as well is the slash commands. You type slash and like you can tell it what you want you don't have to go digging through the UI to start, you know, this or that sort of formatting. And that is something that once you sort of get into your mind is, uh, is really pretty quick. And so this class is winding down for me. I still have all my personal notes and Apple notes and just this stuff and craft. And so the future of this is a little unknown to me, but using it really heavily over the last four or five months has been honestly a joy. And, it may end up that at some point this summer, depending on what notes gets at WBC or got at WBC as you're listening to this, uh, it may be my my go-to for the next year or so, but but we'll see. 
See, I, I have notes for my personal stuff and a few things that I don't share with the team. Because mm-hmm. one, one of the downsides of craft is when you have a shared database, everybody sees everything. You, yeah. you can't say just one person sees this folder or whatever. And so there's some stuff that I really don't feel comfortable putting in there for everybody. And then there's my personal stuff. And I still feel like Apple Notes integration with the Mac is top. And Definitely. I just think that's the one for that. But the thing about craft, because I talked about this in the labs quite a bit and people write me, I think the friction point or the the counterpoint to craft for a lot of people is Notion. Yeah. Because they're looking for something where they can put together a team space. Notion is a web, more of a web service than a native app. And as a result, it's more powerful and it's less of a native app obviously. And uh, for me, craft is good enough. It has the tools I need. It doesn't allow me to put in, although it has table support, it doesn't have the table support that Notion does. And it doesn't have quite the customization that Notion does, but it has the set I need and it works flawlessly on iPad and iPhone. And that trade-off is the way I lean for this tool. And, uh, but that, I, I hear a lot of people saying, well, do I do Notion or craft? I think that's where the tipping point is. If you want something more native, maybe a little less powerful, prettier, and easier to use on mobile, go craft. Mm-hmm. If you want something more powerful, go over to Notion. I think that sums it up well. One we both have on our list uh, is Grammarly. Mm-hmm. I really like Grammarly. I never thought I would like a grammar checker, but this thing is really the the thing if you do a lot of writing. Yeah, it, it it definitely is. They've got a, a free version. I pay for the premium. Uh, I use it in a couple of different ways. So I use the plugin in Chrome, which is the browser I use, mostly because I do a lot of writing in the Neon, in Neon, which is Relay FM's CMS. I don't write in WordPress uh, for 5.12. I do that in Mars Edit on the Mac because it's far superior than the web. But... I very often, it finds things for me. Grammarly does have a system on the Mac that basically can hook into a lot of text fields on the Mac. And that was a bit much for me. Like, I don't need it in messages, you know. Uh, So when I'm writing long blog posts, I'll write them in a text editor. And then I'll copy them into the Grammarly website and sort of run it there. And then I'll publish it through Mars Edit. So I'm not using it across all the Mac apps. That was just a bit heavy-handed for my taste. But if you want that, you can have Grammarly absolutely everywhere. Yeah, I, I just find it it gives me recommendations that I routinely accept. Not all of them, but yeah. it, give, it does make my writing better. And it doesn't take that long to do it. Uh, I They have a native Mac app, which is terrible. I have never been happy with that app. The, there's a typing lag. It's just... It's just not good. Um, yeah, it's weird. If you're going to use Grammarly, my recommendation is is just go to the website. And like I have a little uh, Keyboard Maestro script I wrote that copies text out of wherever I'm writing, uh, navigates to the website, loads the page, and then drops it in for me. So I, it's, it's, in essence, a native app for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, that that's my only dig against it. But they just continue to improve upon it. Uh, I would also give a shout-out to their iPad app because it's a keyboard. And they're using that keyboard implementation and if you do a lot of writing on your iPad, Grammarly checks on the iPad are really nice too. One thing I like about it that I was I was honestly a little bit worried about when I started using it was, is this going to want to conform my writing, like the, my style, into what the robot wants? And 
honestly, I don't think it does. I mean, again, there's some things that it, it always wants to change that I don't because I just I just have certain things that I like to do. But for me, it's much more about catching errors that I wouldn't normally catch. Because anyone who's ever published anything or ever sent an email to their boss knows it's extremely, extremely difficult to catch your own typos. It just is yeah. because you made them. <laughs> and so having something that it's like, oh, hey, this subject verb actually doesn't agree or you used this word, but you meant that word. That's really valuable to me. Absolutely. And it doesn't. It doesn't change your writing. It just helps make it better. They do have voice stuff. As you know, large language models improve. This is obviously an implementation of that, uh, much more limited than something like Chad GPT, but it is kind of the same underlying technology. And uh, it will start making recommendations. A lot of those I ignore, and some of it you can even tell Grammarly, don't do this anymore. I don't mm-hmm. care. You know, I'm going to write in my voice. But uh, it, it does catch little things that you just don't want to miss. And I even I even run it before when I know I have someone editing my work. I still run Grammarly on it before I share it with the editor. Yeah. The newest one for me in this category is MimeStream. This is a, a Mac OS app that is a Gmail client. It is not yet a client that works with IMAP or you know iCloud email. Some of that is coming. They have this big thing on the web page. You can see what, what's coming, which I think is really cool. MimeStream was in beta for a couple of years, and it's written by uh, this guy, Neil, who worked on Mail at Apple, and now he's doing this. And if you use Gmail, and all three of my email accounts are either Gmail or Google Workspaces for work, it is lightweight and fast, and it brings in a bunch of features from Gmail specifically that that Apple Mail doesn't necessarily do. And it just exited beta like two weeks ago. And it's uh, it's going to be 50 bucks a year. And they have multi-user groups. So if you have, uh, you know, say you want to buy it for everyone in your company, you can do that. You can pay monthly as well if you just want to check it out. But I've been so happy with it in beta that I immediately, signed up. I was like, I felt bad. You know, like, like you said earlier, we get to test a lot of stuff. And if we use it for realsies, we pay for it. You and I share that philosophy. I felt that way about this. I was like, I've run this for so long. And even in beta, like there were things that weren't there, but it never did anything wrong. Right. It was just like, oh, it's incomplete. I immediately signed up and I absolutely love it. There are still a few features I wish it had. Mainly I'd like to be able to move a message in between accounts. Uh, because I'm a bit finicky about, okay, if something came to my re, my relay email, but really it's a 512 thing, I actually want to store it in the archive of my 512 email. It just makes more sense to me. Can't do that in MimeStream. I've talked to him about it. I think it's going to happen. But if you use Gmail and you use a Mac, you should at least give it a try. It's a 14-day trial. I've been, I've just been so happy with it. I jumped on this the second that I saw that it was out of beta. And I feel like this is an example of what I was talking about earlier. It's an app where the developers are passionate about it. They made it a subscription so they can continue to work on it. You know, it's like the Walt Disney quote, we make movies uh, so they can be successful and give us enough money to make another movie. That was his like philosophy. And I love that. That's my feel. Same philosophy for field guides. I boosted that from Walt, but you, you make these things. So hopefully they're good enough that you get the, 
privilege to make another one. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's the feeling these guys seem to have about this app. If I use Google mail, there's no question because every time I play with Google mail, you have to choose, are you going to have all the cool Google features or are you going to have a Mac app? Because you don't get both, you know, this gives you both. Yeah, exactly. And again, they have that roadmap. I'll put that in the show notes. You, You can check that out of, of things that they plan on adding and I think one of those is, uh, at the very least, uh, they've talked about, is it JMAP? Is that what your email provider uses? I'm trying to remember. But it's like a fast mail thing. Like, they are looking at yeah. other other things beyond Gmail uh, eventually. And eventually, it's going to come to the I, uh, iPhone and iPad as well, which will be sweet. I would love for them to support fast mail. That's just all I'm going to say. Yeah. I have my own email problems. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Okay. Okay. Another productivity app I use every day that I pay for is drafts and mm-hmm. uh, more than happy to. It is, I've tried alternatives. I keep playing with the other people in the space. I always come back to drafts. If I just want to open up my Mac or iPhone or iPad and just start writing something, it's drafts. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by NetSuite. Go to netsuite.com slash MPU for the leading integrated cloud business software suite. You get a one-of-a-kind financing offer with no interest and no payments for six months. Being a business owner or working closely with business owners means knowing your numbers. If your business earns millions or maybe tens of millions in revenue, stop what you're doing and take a listen because NetSuite by Oracle has just rolled out the best offer. NetSuite gives you the visibility and control you need to make better decisions faster. And for the first time in NetSuite's 22 years as the number one cloud financial system, you can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. That's no payment and no interest for six months. And you can take advantage of this special financing offer today. So so why is NetSuite number one? Well, they give your business everything you need in real time, all in one place to reduce the manual processes, boost efficiencies, build forecasts, and increase productivity across every department. I know as a business owner what a difference that can make and how much easier everything operates when information is available. It really means smart decisions can be made faster. This NetSuite offer is extraordinary, so join the 33,000 companies who have already upgraded to NetSuite and gained visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. If you've been sizing NetSuite up to make the switch, then you know this deal is unprecedented. No interest, no payments. Take advantage of this special financing offer at netsuite.com slash MPU. That's netsuite.com slash MPU to get the visibility and control you need to weather any storm. N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash MPU. And our thanks to NetSuite for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So let's get into some other apps that we are using uh, via subscription. Some of these, like, like you said earlier, the productivity versus other, th- we just needed a way to divide it into the show format. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we've, we definitely have some overlap here. I kind of put mine in order of the amount that I use it. And for me, at the top of the list, there is, is day one. The journaling app, it used to be independent. Now it's owned by Automatic. We did a big episode on day one a few years ago. But it continues to be where I journal, even if I journal in a 
paper notebook. I'll take a picture of it and put it in day one. And I've got a couple of journals in there set up. We've talked about our setups before, but I got a couple in there and I absolutely adore this app. And I think they've done, they've done a good job over the years at adding features. You can have it all encrypted. You can have it across all your devices. So I have it on you know, my Mac, iPhone, and iPad. They have their own sync engine, but it works really, really well. I've never had any data issues with day one. It's just a good example, I think, for me of like a, a really well done app in the Apple ecosystem. Yeah, I, I mean, I get emails from people all the time asking, can I do it in Obsidian? Can I do it in Craft? Where should I journal? And my answer is always just use day one. It, it's built for that. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it so great. You can print it out as a book. You can have uh, different journals for different topics. If you put a picture into it, it matches the date to the picture. I, there's just so much I like about day one, and it's all end-to-end encrypted. And I feel like the stewardship to automatic, I can't think of a better company to own it. And if you want a journal, just use the app that's made for journaling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both Obsidian and Craft have the daily note feature. And I've looked at it in Craft, but all those features you mentioned are why I like day one. My favorite feature, actually, and it's it's silly, but... It's me, so I'm just going to go with it. When you have the the photo or the date, like that metadata, the metadata includes the weather. And for some reason, that just always tickles me that if I have a photo from like last year's pumpkin patch that we took our kids to, I can see that it was 65 degrees and cloudy. And like for some reason, that makes the memory all that more vivid for me. Just a little thing but not something that you can do easily in a daily note in some other app. It's just those little those little features tailored to journaling are what make it so sweet. Yeah, so I guess we both like day one. <laughs> uh, another one that I pay for that's pretty important to me is Obsidian. Now, Obsidian is generally a free app. You can pay for it if you want. Mm-hmm. They, their model is a little weird, right? But the, um, But they have additional features you can buy. And you pay for them. And one of them is their sync engine. And the other one is their publish engine. So the sync engine is an end-to-end encrypted, you know, brain-dead sync system for Obsidian. So if you use Obsidian, you want to sync your data, you can pay them to do it. Now, you don't have to. You could put it in Dropbox or even iCloud. Uh, But I like the idea of that encryption involved with it. And I also like the fact that it's just drop-dead easy and because when you sync it through Obsidian Sync, you don't put it on a cloud server on your devices. So that means it's local data. So for automation purposes, it's also very easy to address. So there's a lot of good reasons, but I pay for Obsidian Sync. I also pay for Obsidian Publish. Not everybody needs that, but if you have an Obsidian page you want to share on the internet, you can do that. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, So I, uh, I give them money every year. And it's also one of those things where I really like the app and I want them to continue to make the app. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One that's hung around a really long time for me is Due, D-U-E. This is the reminder app, uh, mostly on the iPhone, although there is a Mac version, that will remind you incessantly until you finish something. I use it for exactly one thing, and it's medication. Uh, With health, last year they added medication reminders but it's just a regular notification. It's not a sticky notification. It doesn't repeat every 15 minutes till you do it. So if you don't do it immediately, it kind of gets lost in your notifications. And I found that just wasn't working for me. And so uh, with do being able to remind me incessantly to do something, that uh, that was important to me. 
and it uh, it works really well. And the in-app purchase, I mean, I can't think of things. I can think of a few things my phone does more important that remind me to take my medication every day. Yeah, that one is on my question mark list. I have an active subscription for it because I've paid for it, but I have not been using it. Mm-hmm. I have been using the medication stuff on the watch, and that's been fine. And I'm probably not going to renew that one because I just don't find that I use it that much. It's great at what it does, but I just don't feel like I need it. Yeah, that's totally fair. One that I am not willing to part with, however, is Readwise. And that's come up on this show many times. But um, if you read books on Kindle, you should really look at Readwise because it syncs your highlights and gives you spaced repetition. Every morning, one of the things I do is I read 10 highlights from books that I've read over the years, and I love it. And uh, uh, Readwise makes all that possible. In addition, and we're going to maybe do some content on this, they're making their own reader app that's very powerful. And they're really, again, kind of like MimeStream, they're developing a future of, around the product. You know, it is a, an app and system built to help make things better for you. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the developers are really invested in it. So um, I really like the future of the product, but I also really like the present as to uh, the ability to get that space repetition on my highlights. And, and it also syncs with Obsidian. It just, it does all the little things I need. Yeah, when I think about, sparky apps read wise to the top of the list like it is they have a picture of you in their office somewhere i think like what would david do he wants this feature yeah you know it's funny because i heard about it and i'm like oh i don't know if i want to spend money on a thing that's just going to get my highlights out of out of my kindle books but oh man it's so good and then like i read some paper books too chris bailey sent me his new book it was a paper version and i went in read wise and i put the highlights in read wise because it's just so good yeah one that we both have on our list and another one we've talked about in the past is Timery, the time tracking app that works with Toggle. This is one that I'm on his beta uh, basically continuously, but I pay for a membership because I want him to be successful in this. It would wreck my world if something happened to Timery. It's running right now. I can see on my second screen, my MPU timer has been running for an hour and 20 minutes. And I do not want to use the Toggle website. I do not want to use the Toggle app. Timer is a beautiful front end for it, and it is uh, it's the best timer app on the in the Apple ecosystem for sure. There's a little one that I thought I would only subscribe to for one year, but I keep renewing it every year because I like it. It's called Picture This, and all it does is I can take a picture of any plant I see in the world, and it identifies it for me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I, cause I, I have a little bit of gardening that I do and I'm always looking for interesting plants that I can plant at my house. Our climate is not very wet, so we have to get, be very careful. But, you know, as I'm going around California, I see plants that seem to be thriving in my climate and I say, oh, that's kind of nice. And I take a picture of it and then I can figure out what it is and whether or not I want to try and, and plant one at my house. And also, sometimes just out of curiosity, even when I'm traveling, I take pictures of plants. And this app will you know, take a picture of a leaf and you'll know what kind of tree it is or what kind of plant it is. I don't think many people are interested in this that listen to our show, but this one makes me happy. Yeah, this is one that you've mentioned it before and I've shared it with my wife. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm all over that. <laughs> so you've got her at least. Oh, uh, good. It is really cool. It is really cool. It's a weird name, right? It's a plant identifier, but it's called Picture This. I wish, I feel like they they kind of dropped the ball on the name. Y- yeah, I, I I agree. I think I think I agree. 
an app that uh, goes in this category for me that I think is honestly too cheap is Parcel, which is a delivery tracking app. I use deliveries for a long time and it's sort of kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit. Uh, Parcel also does this cool trick where it integrates with your Amazon account. So things automatically show up there. I think Parcel is like $4.99 a year, which I use this thing weekly, at least, if not if not more. Uh, it's fantastic. It is one of those things I was talking about earlier. It's across all of the ecosystem, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, push notifications, widgets, everything you could want to track your packages. This thing does, uh, including Siri support on the Apple Watch. Like you say track package and then give it the name of the package and the watch will just tell you where it is. Like I love that this developer is using every single inch of the ecosystem that they can. And for four ninety nine a year, it's a it's a quick spend for me. Yeah, and it's funny because that space was so occupied by um, what was the name of the app that everybody used before Parcel Deliveries. Deliveries. I mean, Deliveries had the space, and uh, to dis- displace one that everybody's already sold on, they really had the to bring their A game, and they did. I'm using Parcel too. I think a lot of people have made that switch. Yeah, I have also been using for a couple of years now um, David underscores Widget Smith. Uh, you know, the uh, I, I really like what he's done with it. Um, he's a friend, but I pay for his app, and uh, I don't use it for everything. But uh, when I do need to wind up a cool little widget, and I also use it the the watch version, what they call it, um, Watchmith. Watchsmith. Uh, yeah, yeah, Watchsmith. So I, I have both of those, and I think it's really cool to be able to kind of customize my widgets. I wish Apple would allow him to make um, Watch Face Smith, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but they don't do that yet. But uh, you know, we'll get there. Yeah, Widget Smith is great. I, I told him this, but you know, we gave our our daughter a, a, her first iPhone recently, and she, she runs Widget Smith and has a bunch of widgets she made. And not because I told her about it and not because like I was friends with the developer, right? It, yeah. it was circulating in the seventh grade at her school that Widget Smith is the way to do widgets on your iPhone. Uh, so I told him all this and he was very happy, very happy to hear that, obviously. An- another one that I've mentioned th- that is, is relatively new for me is Sports Alerts. This is an app that basically it's like a bunch of other s- sports score apps. You can see what's going on on your favorite teams or the conferences you follow or whatever. But it has excellent live activity support. So I can I can get a notification saying, hey, the Memphis Tigers play in 15 minutes. And if I'm not going to be watching it in person or on TV, I can say, yes, start a live activity. And I can keep up with it. They are doing this better than I think anyone else. There are a couple other sports apps that have, have added live activities. But overall, it's been pretty slow. And uh, they were out there first. And so I I subscribed for a year. And this is one that I am going to continue to see how it goes. Like if there are some less expensive alternatives, or even if Apple gets into it, which they kind of said they would, like there's some sports stuff in the latest version of iOS 16, but it's not great. Uh, This is one that I'm not, I'm definitely not married to forever. But for now, it's doing its job, and that job is, you know, beautiful live activity, so I can see what's going on with my sports teams. 
Yeah. Cool. One that I've been subscribing to now for a couple of years that I really like is called Food Noms. Mm -hmm. And it's a food tracker. If you want to track what you eat, this is the one. There were a bunch of other of these, but they all seemed like they were big and they had marketing plans and uh, cross-promotional nonsense. And, you know, you know, I felt like there were a lot of people in suits and fancy shoes running those apps. Food Noms just tracks your food and it tells you how much you've ate and it does a great job and it's got a pretty UI. I think it's got a really small development team, maybe just one person, but it, it works perfectly fine without all the other nonsense. And uh, I've been subscribing to that one now for a couple of years. Yeah, this is one that's kind of been on my list to to check out. And I just need to find some time to to dive in. It looks spectacular. And a lot of its competitors, uh, not well designed, right? <laughs> some, of the, some of these other apps in this category just don't look that great or seem to be really pushing things that I don't necessarily want in an app like this. So yeah. I think this is sort of a, a good example of like, we do this thing, we do it really well, it's well designed, and that I, that I appreciate. Another relatively newcomer for me is Ivory. This is the Mastodon client by the folks from a TweetBot. Of course, TweetBot is no more. Uh, Ivory is available on the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. You can do an in-app purchase that uh, subscribes you to both the mobile and the desktop version. The Mac version is pretty new. It only came out a couple of weeks ago. But you can uh, you can get both through one subscription. They also have two levels. They have, um, basically, I think they call them like silver and gold. Uh, eventually, those, I think, will have some differences in terms of features. Right now, I think it's mostly good feelings, uh, which is fine. Um, for me, you know, Mastodon replaced Twitter basically entirely. And I think it's true for a lot of people. And I loved Tweetbot. Uh, to me, Tweetbot was Twitter. And so to have that same experience with a new service is fantastic. It feels like nothing really ever changed. And they've done a lot of work to bring in Mastodon-specific things. And they're being very open, just like MimeStream. They have a roadmap on their website. Paul and those guys are active on Mastodon talking to users you know, taking suggestions, uh, saying th things they may or may not do, right? They're not going to take every suggestion. They seem to be pretty honest about that. And I think that's another part of this. I want to know what these developers are thinking and, and how they communicate is important to me, not only as a member of the press, but as a user of these applications. And so uh, Ivory is another one that I'm on their beta, at least on the iPhone, but I paid for, you know, and I will probably move off the beta onto the the public releases at some point. But if you are on Mastodon, um, there are a lot of other good alternatives. But if you were a Tweetbot fan, then this is basically the drop-in replacement. Yeah, see, I, I've signed up for it, but I may unsubscribe this one just because I have not, I just haven't been doing any of this stuff. Like, yeah. I barely use Twitter you know, and this has nothing to do with Twitter's management. I just was barely using it anyway. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of my friends with the Mastodon, so I set up a Mastodon account. I think I, what do you, do you call it a tweet? What do you call uh, it? Um, a post. I did a post say, hey, I'm here. And I think that was the last thing I did. I, I'll have to look. But the, uh, yeah, so I, I just don't use it much. I, I'm trying to focus that kind of time into the the labs discord, the mm -hmm. relay discord, the MPU forums. I, I'm I'm being more self-selective about the people I do social media with. Yeah. And um, 
So we'll see. I don't know. I And I, it's not like one of those big announcements. I'm quitting Twitter. I, right. I don't want to do that. But I just find I don't seem to be able to make time for that stuff. So maybe I don't need an app. We'll see. Yeah, the, the Mastodon website, especially on mobile, is pretty good. And there are other alternatives, right? There are, are several straight-up free Mastodon clients or ones that would be a lot less if you just need to check in every once in a while. And there are clients out there that do more to support some of the weirdness of Mastodon because you have a bunch of different servers, right? And if someone's on your server or not on your server, that means different things. And Ivory's been a little slow to adopt some of those things. Whereas some of the other options out there have been faster. That probably doesn't matter to you because I think you're on Mastodon.social, which is the, the big one. But I run my own. It's just me and five filled pixels, right? So I run into this sometimes like, oh, I can't do this thing because I'm on a little server by myself. Yeah. So there are a lot of alternatives out there. And I think like over at Mac Stories, they've, you know, they've written about several of them. So if you're looking for a Mastodon client, uh, there are a bunch of good options. For me, it's like, I want the TweetBot experience. Sign me up. Uh, another one I pay for uh, is PushCut. Uh, if you do automation or listen to the Automators podcast, you'll know more about that one. It's a, It like turns an iOS device into a server for automation, which is uh, run by Rosemary Orchard at this point. So, yeah. Yeah. A, I was excited to see that. She talked about it so long, and then now she took it over. So she took it over. Good for it's her. in good hands. Yeah, it's going to get better. Of course, it's Rose, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, you know it's going to get better. Yeah, that's, absolutely. that's another one I pay for. Okay. I've got one that is is actually something I'm trying out uh for my travel. So we had WBDC and then I'm on this family trip and I'm going to Chicago a little bit later in the summer. And so I've been playing with Tripsy. Uh this is an app that you can used to manage your travel. It does this cool thing where you can forward emails to like a private email account and it figures out what's in them and then puts it in your travel planner. This is something that I had on my list to check out several years ago, uh, but then it didn't go anywhere for several years. And so when travel started back up, Mike Hurley reminded me of this. He's a big Tripsy fan. I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. And coming off of WBDC, I think... uh, I mean, we're recording this before I went, but having it all in one place that's not an Apple note has been pretty sweet. You can go in there and see your flights. I can see my hotel reservation. If I'd rented a car, that would have been in there. You can put events in there. And this is kind of like Flighty, which is another one that I have paid for on and off over the years. There's a really nice flight tracking app where this is probably not something I'm going to pay for all the time, but during the summer in particular, when I, most of my travel is, this may be something that I do on a, on a monthly basis and then, you know, let it expire and then come back to it if I have another batch of travel. So Tripsy and Flighty both are kind of in that, in that bucket for me, but both are beautiful. Both are really clever in what they do. There's obviously some overlap with the flight tracking stuff. I think Flighty's the best in the app store uh, with that. But both are very handy, I think, if you're spending a lot of time away from home. Yeah, agreed. I, and I've used it occasionally in the past, but I don't currently have a, a subscription to that one. Um, I'm ch- doing a trial right now with SparkMail. Uh, okay. Uh, we talked earlier about mail. I uh, Mail is, email has become kind of a, a friction point for me, as mm-hmm. it is for everybody, right? And I'm just trying to figure out a better solution for it. Part of it is the volume of mail I get. Part of it is like a, a better way to handle 
customer support stuff. And like Sparkmail has that feature where you can you can have another account with someone and you can share mail across it. So that would be good for some customer support requests. Like I could have someone else kind of handle it, but I could be involved. Uh, but my first level of this is just, do I not hate the app? Right. Mm-hmm. And because mail apps, you know, like when you're looking for a significant other spouse, you want someone you love. But when it comes to a mail app, you just want something you don't hate. Cause you're not going to love any of them. Um, <laughs> That's my experience, at least. But so I, I installed Spark uh, a week ago, and I, I went ahead and subscribed to it because I need to use it for like a month or two before I really know that I don't hate it because they've really they've got a completely different paradigm for email, which may be good. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm giving it a try. So that one is kind of on my temporary list right now. Okay. Yeah, I know Mike and Carrie use it at Relay for that exact thing. Like we can get an inbound sales email and they can talk. Like they don't have to take it to Slack. They don't have to, they don't have to like forward an email around. You can assign an email to somebody or talk about it in a sidebar. And the other person in the email chain has no idea any of that's happened. Right. They don't know that you took their email and sent it to somebody else. They may be upset if they knew that. So it's all within spark. And that is such a clever feature i would have loved to have been in the room when that came up it's like yes this is gold and if that's how you work collaboratively at email there's really nothing that does it the way spark does i think it's super clever well actually there are some really great services out there but okay. they're bigger and there's more you know they oh, they yeah. they even take it to the next level but they're quite expensive and they're way overkill for what i need i mean i'm dealing with people like that just need a tax receipt or something you know it's mm-hmm. just it's not that big of a deal, but if I could have a way to independently just put that off to Leilani and, and she could understand what needs to be done, I don't know. I feel like that might be the solution. But like I said, at first, I just need to work with it a little bit because, you know, me giving up on, you know, some other Apple mail app or some other mail application like MailMate, I, I'm not sure I want to do that, you know? So... I'm just trying to figure out if me and Spark can get along. Sure. If we can cohabitate. Yeah. So I subscribed. And like you were saying earlier, I'm not giving them $300 to buy the app and a huge license. I'm paying for a couple months and then I'll know, you know whether or not this is going to work out or not. A couple other ones, I think, just to run through quickly for me, things that we've talked about on the show a lot. Uh, Carrot Weather is definitely at the top of my list. Uh, weather apps have to pay for their data. It is not free, even if they're using WeatherKit, Apple's thing. Apple charges for that data, and that data is expensive. And so weather apps are really one that I think benefit from the business model change because if they were charging you once, they had to charge you enough to pay for your weather data for an unspecified amount of time. And so Carrot Weather does get constant updates, and it does take advantage of all the ecosystem, but I'm also paying for the data that it provides, uh, and I happily do so. That is my fantastic hell for, you know, it's like, I don't know if I need that good of a weather app, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the Apple weather app has got a lot better and it has a lot of very up-to-date information. It's not as good as carrot weather, but I have a question mark next to it because when it comes time for renewal, am I getting enough out of the weather app living in Southern California where we don't have kind of extreme weather? Yeah. I'm not sure I need it. So that one I'm not sure about. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And a lot of people probably don't. And Apple's weather app has gotten way better over the years, especially with iOS 16. You know, they bought Dark Sky and WeatherKit came out of that, as did uh, the sort of re-infusion of features into the into Apple's app. So for a lot of people, it's it's more than enough. One we both have is Dark Noise. Yeah. And we did a whole show on it. So we don't need to say much more, but Dark Noise is cool. And we pay for it. Yep, that's uh, it's very good. Very, very good. Uh, another one that I pay for is Controller for HomeKit. It's a great little app that gives you better features than HomeKit and a better user interface. If you use HomeKit a lot, check it out. Yeah, that one's come up on our show before, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my plans for later in the year is to play with some more home automation stuff so that one is like saved in good links for for future use yeah we'll do a show on that because there, there's a lot to say there okay the last one for me is gift wrapped uh, this is uh an application that lets you basically manage a gif library which is something that uh i tend to do i, I sync it with dropbox uh you can search for gifts it has a iMessage app and it's basically the only iMessage app I use so I can pull from my library and send somebody to some uh, send something to somebody uh, it's been around for quite a while it's, it's made by a friend of mine uh, Daniel but it is a lot of fun and being able to like save things from a search into the library like all those features are there uh, it's just a lot of fun and it's one that I am happy to pay for because I, I do send goofy gifts to my friends basically all the time yeah, another one I just got, again, as a one-year trial was Raycast. Raycast now has gone to a consumer con- pres- uh, subscription model. Yeah. And I am still on the Alfred train, but I can see that Raycast is doing interesting things, and I want to be able to play with both of them over mm-hmm. the next year. This is a Max Sparky thing, really, more than a making a choice thing. And so I went ahead and bought a year of Raycast when they announced it, and uh, I'm actively using both of those against each other right now. Okay. Yeah, I know one of the features I think that's in that subscription is syncing across multiple computers, yeah. which is so critical when you're using something like a launcher. Right? You want that to be the same everywhere. And we have not mentioned it all through the show today, but you know, I think the big subscription is Setup. You mm-hmm. know, they're occasionally a sponsor of the show, so be warned, I guess, but you know, for your 9.99 a month, you get just a host of applications and I'm a subscriber. I use a bunch of apps on it. I'm constantly finding new ones. We could almost do a whole show on set app apps that we use. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole today, but uh, that is a subscription service as well that I find worthwhile. Yeah, because it gives you access to so many things, it can kind of eat other subscriptions for you, which is which is cool. Yeah, there are apps that I unsubscribe to because I'm getting them on set app. Yes. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by BZG Apps, makers of Unite for Mac OS, which is not just another app. It's a powerful tool that allows you to transform any website into a full-fledged, customizable, and isolated application on your Mac. With Unite's lightweight WebKit browser technology, you can streamline your online tools to increase your productivity and reduce distractions. Unite's recognition is far-reaching, with features by Apple at their events and endorsements from a bunch of leading tech publications like The Verge, Mac Rumors, Tidbits, 9to5Mac, 
and a little website called 512 Pixels. They really are committed to making your online experience seamless. You can unleash your creativity with Unite and create a tailored Twitter client resistant to sudden changes or create a sleek status bar app for chat, GPT, or Bing. You can even experience Gmail or Google Meet as efficient native apps, reducing the need for resource-intensive browsers. Or maybe you want to enhance your privacy and security by creating an isolated environment for platforms that might track you. There's really something for everyone here. Music enthusiasts can enjoy a status bar app for Apple Music or Overcast, while designers and traders can have their Figma or Robinhood applications right on their desktops. Unlike other providers, Unite apps are efficient and customizable, allowing you to tailor your workspace to your needs. You can enjoy a wealth of features like link forwarding, ad blocking, native notifications, password management, and more, all within the isolated environment of your Unite app. Plus, with a one-time license and no recurring subscription, you can enjoy these benefits indefinitely. Exclusive to the Mac Power Users community, there is a 20% discount on any Unite license for the next week. Visit bzgapps.com slash macpowerusers to make the most of this opportunity and to revolutionize how you work on your Mac today. Once again, that's bzgapps.com slash macpowerusers. There's also a link in the show notes. You're going to get 20% off any Unite license. That's pretty sweet. Our thanks to BZG Apps for their support of the show and Relay FM. Okay, let's talk about the cloud services we subscribe to because, yes, we do give money to those people too. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the, the one both of us share is, is Apple One. That's the big one from Apple. Mm-hmm. It's the one that combines uh, like six subscriptions. So you have iCloud Plus, which is additional storage, and TV plus music, arcade, fitness, news, all those things rolled into one. They have a couple of different options. They have individual family and then premiere, which is where I ended up because I like fitness plus. Uh, if it weren't for that, I could save myself 10 bucks a month. Um, but then I see the iCloud storage and I'm back at the premiere, right? Because we're, I think we're at my family's at 1.1 terabytes of iCloud space. Uh, you can do iCloud space separately. This is one I think in particular it's it's best just to sit down and look at what you are spending now and look at what bundle makes sense. You may end up saving money doing it some other way. So I think this one in particular is worth uh, worth that exercise. And yeah, it's great. We have iCloud family sharing. So everyone has access to all of this stuff. We share that iCloud space. Everyone that has access to Apple Music and and those other things. And it's just all, you know, comes out just once a month. And that is nicer than piecemealing it together. And for me, doing it together actually was a little bit cheaper for the things that I wanted. I don't particularly care about Apple News Plus or Apple Arcade, so they're in for the ride, but that's fine. Yeah, me too. I do think Apple could do a better job explaining what you get. And the storage element in particular is confusing. Like, how do I get more storage but this plan? So I feel like Apple could do a better job on that. But I can tell you, we have four terabytes of storage, and we have 246 gigabytes left. I'm looking at this right now. So we, um, you know, the problem is as your kids get better phones, (laughs) they take a lot of pictures. And 
there it goes. And uh, I have two terabytes of documents. So that's on me. Mm-hmm. I've got to like cull the herd here, but I like to keep a lot of stuff in iCloud. Um, I guess overall, how, what do you think of iCloud? I know you're sometimes a little bit hesitant to, to use their storage. Yeah, I'm still not really using iCloud Drive all that much. Although it is something that I I reevaluate every couple of years because I also pay for Dropbox, the family plan, uh, because Mary also has some need for some cloud storage stuff. And I look at that sometimes like, well, is that something I could I could downsize on the Dropbox side of things? Uh, the big thing that keeps me on Dropbox though is shared work folders i have a a billion of them and moving all that to icloud drive means moving a lot of people to icloud drive that probably don't want to do it and so while i don't use icloud drive really i don't really use that storage space that way i guess it's available for the times that i do need it um but for me the storage is much more about photos like you said than anything else yeah, I agreed. And I also have Dropbox, uh, you know, partly for work where, you know, we share a lot of stuff between us. Also with um, with the JF, the person who does a lot of the work for me on some of the, the field guides and the labs videos, he does a lot of editing. So we share very large files back and forth. And Dropbox is really good for that. Um, I do wish there was a way for me to just greatly expand my iCloud storage and then experiment with the idea of just going on the one platform. Um, Apple kind of just decided, you know, four terabytes is as much as you're ever going to need, so we're never going to offer you more. And I think that's kind of a mistake, uh, especially with the way, you know, their cameras and their phones take big files now. So Mm -hmm. we are going to need more storage. So that's a bit of a thing in motion for me. So I either need to, based on how much storage I have left on iCloud, I need to start moving more stuff into Dropbox or figure out a way to, you know, get some stuff off the cloud. But I, that's something I need to work on, but I am using both iCloud and, or Apple one and Dropbox. And I don't have a family account. I just have an individual account with Dropbox. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dropbox is good that you can just add storage. I'm sure there is an upper limit, but I don't know what it is. I mean, I've never really bumped into that. I've got currently 2.1 terabytes on my account. I'm using, and I'm using 1.4. Yeah. On Dropbox. If you had told me 15 years ago that I would be like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Or that like, I'm going to run out at four terabytes. Yeah. What? You know? Yeah. That's infinite amount of data. It's really not. It, It really isn't once you get more people in there. Yeah, and and they are all actively taking pictures. One of them is probably taking a picture at this moment <laughs> and taking up more of the storage. Another one we share is we both use Backblaze. Yeah, uh, they were a sponsor years ago, but they're just I feel like they're the best solution for a Mac if you want to do a cloud based backup. And I just run it on my main Mac, my desktop laptop, as mm-hmm. you would say. And uh, so it's always running. It's always got that. It's kind of the belt and suspenders method of backup. But if everything really goes, you know, in trouble for me, the backblaze will be my savior. I pay 50 bucks a year for it. And I don't think twice. Yeah, I've got it set up on my computer and uh, my wife's computer. Both of us have MacBook Pros. Uh, I obviously ran it on more machines in the past when I was living the multiple Mac lifestyle. But I've uh, I've given that up. And yeah, it, it is the the 
belt and suspenders, right? It, it is the safety net. If something really bad happens, I know my data is elsewhere, even though most of my data is on Dropbox or iCloud. Not everything is. And if I need my whole system back, if, you know, an, an asteroid hits my property in my house and, and studio are gone, I can ring them up and get a drive and have all my stuff back. And that is well worth the 6 or $7 a month that it does now. Yeah. And I would also recommend this is a great solution if you're sending kids off to college. Yes. Uh, because they are not going to back up. And you put this on their machine and you know they're getting backed up. You've got a couple more, though. Yeah, I got a couple of work-specific things. Uh, I mentioned it earlier and talking about MimeStream, but I do have Google Workspace, both for Relay FM. We have several people with Relay email addresses. And I also have it for myself for uh, Hackett Technical Media, which owns 5 Pixels and a couple other things I do, kind of an umbrella for other stuff, uh, mostly for the branded email. And, of course, uh, at Relay, we also use Google Drive uh, Mostly docs and sheets, but we do use Google Drive for some things. And it is really something I've never really looked at reevaluating because it works really well for us. And it's it's pretty affordable to have basically the Gmail world, but with your branded email. Uh, you know, when iCloud Plus came out or you could do your domain stuff, we never really looked at that. Um, this works for us. And uh, it's not something that w- that would easily be changed, and I'm I'm totally fine with that. Uh, and then at Relay, we also pay for Slack. Slack you can use for free. We wanted some features that are paid, so we the company pays Slack a few hundred dollars every month because we have like 45 people or something in the Slack now. But it is our office, right? We don't pay for a building, you know. We don't have plumbing and electrical and a break room. We have Slack, and so when I view it through that lens. It's totally acceptable to me to pay whatever it is, 300 bucks a month for all those people. Uh, We could move to something like Discord or something else, but uh, really what's nice about Slack is the integration with other tools. And so our sales CRM can pipe information into Slack. The service that monitors the website and tells me if we're down or if we're having an outage, that all gets piped into there. Lots of stuff. And there's lots of rooms that people have made that, you know, for various projects and shows. And it just worked well for us. It's really been the Relay office almost since day one. And it's like, it is work. If I'm at work, Slack is open. And it has served our community really well over the years. Yeah. I just wanted to go back to the Google Drive element. Um, One of my daughters attends UCLA. And when she signed up and went to orientation, they said, hey, get a UCLA Google email and then you get free google storage for life nice i don't know if that'll be true or not yeah she is using the heck out of it and just to tell me the other day how stable it is and how happy she's been with it and she does like massive file sharing with the kind of work she does and it's all on that google educational account so yeah it's just one more example where google's eating apple's lunch in the education system Mm -hmm. yeah apple doesn't really have anything that competes with them in this area. And that's, that's a little concerning to me. You know, iCloud is fantastic, but it's not what this is, right? A lot of people just want to open a browser and type into a document and like, I mean, iCloud.com does that, I guess, but not nearly as well. And Google has just totally taken over this space for a lot of people. 
And it's also why a lot of schools use Chromebooks because it all just plugs in and works. And that's something somewhere else that Apple is is struggling against them a little bit, I think. Yeah. I mean, Apple does it, but they don't really do it. If you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's switch topics to entertainment. And the thing that stands out from our outline is that for someone who claims to not much watch much TV, I have a lot of entertainment subscriptions. <laughs> You've got more in here than I do. I was surprised. Yeah, I, know. I know. Well, we've got, of course, Disney. Yeah. And there, there's two versions of that. There's the Disney, and then there's the Disney plus Hulu plus ESPN. We just have the Disney plus, not the not the full enchilada. But, uh, but we use it a lot. I mean... Daisy and I are big Disney fans. We watch a lot of stuff on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got the bundle uh, because I wanted Hulu and ESPN+. Uh, My university where I went, their athletic department is on ESPN+. They they have the the rights to all their stuff. And uh, it's nice having Hulu so we can watch live TV or a couple shows we keep up with. Uh, and so for me, the extra, I think it's an extra $3 a month to add ESPN plus like that, that was fine with me. And, uh, I've been happy with it. You know, there's a lot of talk always about like (laughs) what's going to happen to Hulu. Uh, no one seems to want to own Hulu. We'll, we'll just, we'll just see. I think at some point they're going to merge. Maybe they've already announced it. Who knows? Yeah. I I think Disney, cause Disney has the right to purchase the rest of it, I believe. So I think it's very likely Disney's going to scoop that up. So, I think I think that's probably true. Uh, Netflix and HBO, which is now called Max, right? Yeah, those are oh. the uh, family ones for me. Okay. Like I, I, in the last year for both of those services, I sent out a family text saying, "Hey, I think I'm going to just cancel those." I can't think of the last time I watched either one of them, mm-hmm. and uh, my family came for me with the long knives. So mm-hmm. it's that. We've got that because I have a wife and two adult children. So I don't know what they watch. I don't know what's on those networks, but I have them. Yeah. I This is one that I pay for depending on what's going on. So I was paying for it for a couple of months to watch the last season of Succession, which just ended. And so I went in and I said, don't renew this. And if there's some other, I'm I'm this way with a lot of, media streaming like AMC plus I've paid for at certain times to watch something, you know? Uh, so this one is out of my rotation now, but it is, uh, I know a lot of people do like it and they just went through a merger with discovery and time. That's a very messy history there, but, uh, it's now just called max, which I think was dumb. I don't know why you took HBO out of the name, but it is there for a lot of people. Yeah, that show Succession is like where a bunch of people are arguing about an old guy's fortune. Isn't that what it? Something like that, like an old guy's messing with his kids. Yeah, that's 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 the basis of it. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, I, I can't imagine watching that. That <laughs> sounds to me like I'm definitely more of a Ted Lasso kind of guy at this point in my life. But yeah, yeah, that, that, that's part of my problem. Is a lot of the the shows I like don't have much drama in them, mm-hmm. so they're not going to get made. Um, the uh, one that I do, uh, another one I have for a fam- member of my family is my wife loves Hallmark movies. That is like her drug. Uh, she just loves watching them. She, uh, As she explains to me, I know what I'm getting into. 
I can put it on and do stuff around the house and I'm perfectly happy, but I want it on. So when I wanted to cancel cable, that was her one condition that I find the Hallmark channel for her. Mm. And there's a service called Friendly. I think it's about 80 bucks a year and it's the best $80 I'm spending a year. Of mm-hmm. all the stuff I've talked about today, you know, making my wife happy, that's the one. And yeah. it gets her Hallmark and it gets her a couple other networks, but and it it also has the ability to uh, like record them on your account. So the, I don't know how they do it on the back end, but you say, I want to watch this, you know, later and it records it for you, but it keeps them for like 90 days. So like we are watching Hallmark Christmas movies every year until the end of March, you know, <laughs> and the, uh, the, uh, but she has the, it's like a constant stream in her life and she loves. And if there's someone in your life or you love the Hallmark channel and you want to get that check out friendly. Yeah. You should see if that's on Hulu. You may be able to save a little money if you did the Disney Hulu bundle. I have already found out. She's she's investigated it, and they have some on Hulu, but they don't have everything. And okay. she wants it all. Okay. So one that is on the chopping block for me, but not my family. So this is like uh, Max in your household. Yeah. Honestly, is Netflix. It was the the crown jewel for so long, and. If it were up to me, I would treat it like I do some of the others. Like, oh, there's a new Netflix show I want to watch. I would, you know, pay for it for a couple of months and watch the show and then turn it off. I've not gotten my family to agree to this. Uh, there's especially a lot of kid stuff on there that the family likes. And so I feel a little bit stuck with Netflix, even though if it were up to me, it would it would see the curb. No, I'm the same way. I try to get rid of Netflix, too, and they 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 came at me. So mm-hmm. I, I'm paying for those. <laughs> but the... Uh, but yeah, I, I could I could cut them today and I would not miss them, but they would. One that I am uh there's there's two actually that I get for myself. One is Curiosity Stream. Okay. And it's just a um a ton of documentaries. It's yeah. like all documentaries and it's very inexpensive. I think I paid like thirty dollars for a year of it. It was not much money, but I I don't remember they had a deal or something, but you know, it, it's even when you get it just off the website, it's not very expensive. And then the other one that I turn off and on occasionally is Acorn TV, okay. which in the U S is like a lot of British shows. And I, I really like um, a lot of British TV, like doc Martin uh, detectorists. And they, I don't know, for whatever reason, kind of the, the TV shows they make in the United Kingdom really appealed to me. I like that they usually have a beginning and an ending. They don't run forever. And occasionally I find one I like, so I'll turn Acorn on long enough to to watch it, and then I'll turn it off. Yeah, Curiosity Stream is one that I've turned on and off over the years. Like if there's, you know, something yeah. that really catches my eye there, or, you know, something kind of makes the rounds that I want to go see. Um, I think it's fascinating because it's one of those things like, this would be really hard to pull off before streaming. Like it'd yeah. be hard to have a cable channel that was just high quality documentaries 24 seven, but in the streaming world, you can do whatever you want. Right. And I think it's cool that this has uh surfaced as like, if you were into this stuff, this is where you can go. I think it's really neat. The other thing I think is funny is just listening to us talk. Our attitudes about entertainment services are completely different than apps. Like, Throughout the show, we're talking about all these apps we subscribe to without a second thought. Yeah. <laughs> and when it comes to entertainment, we're like, is this one earning its way to, can I get rid of this one? You know, it's like, there. it's funny to me that I am not 
interested in keeping a lot of these entertainment services around and I, I keep as few of them as I want. But uh, when it comes to apps, I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll under- yeah. <laughs> fact, one of the things we didn't do is add up how much each one of us is spending. Yeah, on I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't, don't want to do it either. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And, and I feel like with the media space, like I know that if I did that to like dark noise, Charlie wouldn't know, right? And but like I feel partially because if it's our job, right? Like I feel bad, like in a way. I don't know. And who cares if I turn off Netflix for three months, right? Like they'll be fine. So part of it, I think, is just our unique uh, situation. Well, I feel like time is my most valuable commodity, and yeah. if I can get exchange money to get time back, I will do it almost every time. And that's what most of these subscriptions are about for me. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. With Squarespace, you can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, your products, services, and even the content you create. Squarespace has got you covered. With Squarespace, you can... Use insights to grow your business. If you've ever wondered where your site visits and sales are coming from and which channels are most effective, you can analyze all of that in Squarespace. Once you've got the data, you can improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. You can also stand out in any inbox with Squarespace email campaigns. Why not encourage your visitors to sign up as email subscribers and start them on the journey to becoming loyal customers? Just start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients like colors and logo, plus the built-in analytics measure the impact of every send. And if you want to get blogging, Squarespace is to do that. Squarespace is a powerful blogging tool to share stories, photos, videos, and updates. It's super easy. You can put any kind of content in and just get rolling. You'll be able to categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make the content work for you. If you want to get started on the internet, there's no place easier than Squarespace. That's where I did it. That's where I sent my wife and my friends to do it. And we continue to use Squarespace because it's just such a great platform. It's constantly evolving and getting better. And it gives you everything you need to build a beautiful website. And it's really affordable, too. If you don't have your own presence on the internet, this is the place to go. Head over to squarespace.com slash MPU for a free trial where there's no credit card required. Just start building your site. Within an hour, you'll have a beautiful website. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use that offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the Mac Power Users. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of the Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. So we've mentioned a couple of things that we've uh, canceled or, or gotten rid of over the last little bit. Uh, and I'm curious uh, for you, maybe some apps that you tried a subscription or a service you tried that didn't stick. What do you have for us? The most recent cancellation for me is Portal. Okay. It's a relatively new app that it, it's like a wallpaper, and it, but it's got animation. It's really gorgeous. But uh, and it has sound, and if you have attached smart lighting, it'll change the the temperature. I have no complaints. The app was well done. I just don't think I want it. You know, I tried it out, and 
I thought about keeping, I think it's like $50 a year. And I'm like this, I'm not going to get value out of this. When I'm done working, I don't want to look at my computer screen. I just leave the room. Yeah, I saw this in your list. I had not come across it. It seems like a lot. Like, I don't need, I don't think I need this. But I guess it's cool if you, if you want it. Yeah. I did a video on it for the labs that's not out yet. <laughs> but uh, So labs members are going to learn about Portal. And in the video, I said, I'm not sure if I'm going to keep it. Well, I didn't keep it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One for me that it fits into the category of entertainment, but I kind of kept it here because it's really one that is very seasonal for me and it's Bally sports. So when Disney bought part of Fox, Fox had to spin off all their little sports networks. And a lot of those became Bally sports, which I think in the time since it's filed for bankruptcy, I don't know what their future is, but the Memphis Grizzlies, stream on Bally Sports and it's way cheaper than the NBA, you know, league pass or whatever and you can watch it real time, you don't have to wait a day, all that all that stuff. But this is one that is like a hard like it it's paid for when the Grizzlies are playing and when they lost <laughs> uh in the playoffs, it gets turned off. And that's a little bit different than some of the other streaming ones, which I may turn it off depending on what's showing on them or I hear about a show I want to check out. But this one is basically on a calendar for me. And so it's off right now. And I will re-enable it when the NBA starts back up. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, to a certain extent, sports and entertainment are very similar yeah. in our attitudes for them. You know, when when you don't need it, you don't keep it. And that's, again, kind of an advantage of this whole system, right? Where you can, mm-hmm. you know, you can kind of eat what you I guess pay for what you eat or whatever the term is. And uh, I like that. Yeah. Uh, one that you've got on your list also is Headspace. And yeah. I had unsubscribed to that a while ago. I, I still daily meditate and I've done it for over 30 years. I was just thinking almost 40 now. And <laughs> I just don't need uh, Headspace. I just don't need someone in my ear. I find it more distracting, but I still recommend the app for people who want to get into it. Yeah, you and I talked about this when Headspace came up a couple of years ago. Maybe we did a home screen episode or something. And I really like took what you said to heart and I used it as a way to sort of grow those muscles. But I'm at a point now where I can I can get into that state without this. And you know, I, I'll use the Breathe app that comes built on the watch. And there's an app called Unwind, which is basically a uh again, sort of a breathing timer thing that if I'm having a little bit of trouble getting there, I will use that. But Headspace kind of became like, that's actually, I don't actually don't need what all this does. And this and Calm, which is their main competitor, both great, but both pretty pricey. And so I kind of got to a point where I was able to move on from it. And, uh, and so that fell by the wayside maybe about six months ago. And it's been totally fine. I've been totally fine without it. Yeah, I had a subscription to an app called Productive, which is really a habit tracking app, uh, a very nice implementation of it. And I just found that habit tracking through apps is counterproductive. You know, uh, when I'm working on a habit, I'd rather just write it down in a notebook because I am not a fan of this whole streak thing. I know it's kind of gamification, but then it becomes like its own thing. Yeah. And I'm not sure it's really that healthy. So I unsubscribe to Productive. 
Yeah, I've tried Streaks before, which is a very similar app. Uh, Streaks has this awesome. I love their UI though; like it's yeah, very it's much better. their own thing. But yeah, I agree. kind of the same way, I don't feel like I uh, necessarily want or need to, to track habits that way. But both are, I think, are, are both are legitimate if you do find that's something you want in your life. Yeah, it's funny how some apps you subscribe to and. It's not that you don't like the app, but you just find it doesn't fit you. Like, you know, Headspace, productive. Another one like that for me is Up Ahead. That was an aspirational subscription. It's a beautiful app that tells you how long until Christmas or your vacation or whatever. And when it came out, everybody was flipping out about how great the UI is. And it's a small developer. And I wanted to, like, you know, lend a hand. So I bought a year of it. But I just never used it. Like, in a year, I tried it out. And then I never used it again. So I, mm-hmm. I unsubscribed. It's a great app, just not, it doesn't scratch an itch that I have. Yeah, I think that, that's fair. One that I tried out because it was uh, pretty trendy uh, in our corner of the internet for a little while was Glass, which was pitched as like an Instagram, but not run by Meta. And it is really neat. And like there are a lot of really cool photographers on there. But I realize that that's just not something that I care about. Like, I don't like Meta, but I'm on Instagram and I got friends and family there. And so that was enough for me. So I, I played with this for a couple of months and decided it wasn't, it wasn't worth it for me. Yeah. And I have just a little graveyard of apps that I subscribed to for a month or two where I just tried out for the purpose of talking about it here on Mac Sparky mm-hmm. or the Mac Power Users and I mean, the most recent one there is Reply Cube, which is an Apple Mail plugin, and it didn't really do what I needed it to do. But I, I always want to give these things a try. And I, I just don't feel like I don't want to be the guy that writes the developer and say, hey, can you send me a code? Well, you know, yeah, I just, you know, I, they're so inexpensive. I'll pay $2 and try it for a month and then make my own decision. And then I don't have the developer writing me back and saying, well, what are you going to say about my app? And, you know, just, I don't want that. Um, so I've got a lot of apps like that that I tried out for a month or two, and I knew I was testing them and really never intended for them to stick. Yeah, I've, I view a lot of that as just the the cost of doing this sort of business. And you know, I don't do the thing where like, oh, I put this on my, you know, I don't have separate IDs for personal and work, right? It's kind of all the same thing. But for me, I wouldn't experience it the way a customer does. And a lot of these apps we talked about, I know the developers, but my relationship with them is in a professional context, right? And I may or may not use their apps. I know a lot of developers, so I don't use their apps. But I think you get into gray area when you ask for something like that, right? Like I want a bunch of betas of the apps that we talked about because I can provide feedback and we can have a relationship that way. But like we said earlier, most of those that we're on the betas of even or that we get to check out, we end up paying for because we we also want the the consumer experience. And I think for both of us, we just try to be as ethical as we can be in that. I'm not, and I'm not saying taking a promo code is unethical. I'm not saying that. But it's simpler not to do it. And I think both you and I value that simplicity. Yeah. And also because I really feel like I tell people that it's okay to subscribe to apps. I feel like I should do that. Like uh, the David Smith apps are a good example. I don't know if I've ever written about them, but I use them. And I I just wouldn't 
if I wrote Dave Smith, he would send me coats, right? Yeah. But I would rather just pay for it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, so I don't, I know it's complicated, I guess would be the answer, but, but kind of getting back to the beginning of the show, um, if you come to this with the attitude subscriptions are evil and this is ruined software, I think you should reconsider. I think there are some good things about it and it really forces you to make tough choices sometimes. Uh, and Steven, in my case, we probably don't make enough tough choices. We've subscribed to a lot of apps, but you know, like we are also people that, that pay for our shoes talking about this stuff. So we need to, yeah. Um, and hopefully give you advice. So you don't need to subscribe to them all. Um, but I don't think they're evil. I just think you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. Uh, there are certainly developers out there that are trying to get subscriptions and not do a lot of work, and those should not get your money. But there are others out there. Um, Mimestream is the latest of these where they absolutely want this to become their full-time job for you know the foreseeable future, and they want to take your money, and they want to give you value back, and those are the ones you should support. Well said. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Text Expander, NetSuite, BZG Apps, and Squarespace. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. You can find the MPU forums at talk.macpowerusers.com. One of my favorite places on the internet. So many smart people there. Go check that out. And uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>